Today on Truths That Transform. That was kind of the uh, covenant and the agreement I had with God. If he allowed me to coach, then and that was my calling, that I would give him thanks. They said, you know, coach, you can talk to your players, you can talk to your fellow coaches, you can talk to the fans, but it, one thing you can't do is talk to God. That's unconstitutional. It's like losing your kid. It's that you're left with that empty, hollow part of your soul, and it's, it's a horrible feeling. The world hates Jesus Christ, which is undoubtedly got to be the most astonishing fact in history. Welcome to Truths to Transform, a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries, where we are standing for truth and defending your freedom. I'm Rob Pacienza, Senior Pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, founded by Dr. D. James Kennedy. America's founders believed that the freedom to live out our faith was so important, they enshrined it in the First Amendment to the Constitution. But in recent decades, that amendment has been so twisted in the courts that it is now often used as a justification for depriving people of their religious freedom. On today's program, you'll discover how a culture that increasingly sees Christianity as a threat is working to punish Christians. And we begin by meeting a high school football coach who decided on his own to pray a brief silent prayer on the field after each game. His school fired him claiming the prayer was a violation of the Constitution. This week, Coach Joe Kennedy's case is scheduled to be heard in the United States Supreme Court. It's an important case where the Supreme Court has the opportunity to kind of do a course correction on the protection of religious liberty and the the proper role of religion in a free civil society, which is what the First Amendment is all about. The religion clauses, that's what they seek to protect. Joe Kennedy, a former Marine, was a football coach at Bremerton High School in Washington State. He made a promise to God that he would thank him after each game, a promise he kept for many years without incident until 2015. It was kind of the uh, covenant and the agreement I had with God if he allowed me to coach, then, and that was my calling, that I would give him thanks. The referee has blown the final whistle, the players have left the field, and after that happens, Coach Kennedy made a commitment to God that once the game is over and he's done coaching, he wanted to pause briefly at the 50-yard line, and he just wanted to give thanks for what they did. He wanted to thank God for the opportunity to coach those young men, and and if somebody got hurt, he wanted to pray for them to be healed quickly, whether they were on his team or the other team. And these prayers were 15 to 30 seconds at the most, and and they were private and quiet prayers. Though Coach Joe Kennedy never asked anyone to pray with him, the players began to take notice. The kids started coming out and, Coach, what are you doing out there? And I was like, just giving thanks for what you guys did. And they said, can we join you? I was like, it's a free country. You can do whatever you want to do. And so a few of them came out, and uh, over the 
first year it was hit and miss, you know, sometimes it would be three, sometimes nine to, you know, half the team. But every year it kind of grew and grew and um, before long it was the whole entire team. This is about the game, this is about the students. Coach Kennedy had been praying after games for nearly eight years until a phone call to the school principal, ironically to compliment Coach Kennedy and the school on the prayer, raised the principal's concern and he sent the athletic director to investigate. The athletic director approached me and said, are we clear about the prayer thing? And I was, no, I'm not clear about it. And he says, well, can't have you praying. We just, we just don't want you to lead the prayer. I was like, oh, I don't know if I could promise that. And so I was alone. It was an away game, all by myself on the 50. After the game was over, no kids on the field. I took a knee for, I don't know, maybe 30 seconds and uh, just continued on with the team. And they ended up suspending me and then ultimately giving me um, an evaluation that was really horrible and right in and it says that uh, because of your actions and not complying with the school telling you what to do we're do not rehire so it was a huge blow that every one of my evaluations I was evaluated so highly for what I do and I didn't change anything after being fired from the school for privately praying on the field after football games Coach Kennedy filed a lawsuit against the Bremerton School District, but his firing was upheld by a three-judge panel at the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which said that because he prayed in view of students, his prayer could be construed as an establishment of religion. They further argued that he had no First Amendment right to free exercise of religion as a school employee. But Coach Kennedy's attorneys disagreed. Well, Bremerton School District has no legal basis to, to make this type of uh, ultimatum on any employee, let alone a football coach, to say you have to choose between your faith and your job. And for the government to come in and say, and, and this is what the school districts did here, they said, you know, coach, you can talk to your players, you can talk to your fellow coaches, you can talk to the fans, but it, one thing you can't do is talk to God. That's unconstitutional. The case is really about the intersection of the Establishment Clause and the Free Exercise Clause of the First Amendment. And we've, over many, many years, we've sort of gotten to the point in the legal system where the Establishment Clause has grown to the point where it starts to infringe on the Free Exercise Clause. So his case really demonstrates that well, in that the school district was acting you know, out of fear of, of potentially violating the Establishment Clause, and what they end up doing is violating his free exercise rights. You know, a government employee doesn't shed their own free exercise rights just by working for the government. So him engaging in a brief personal expression of faith um, you know, at work um, is in no way a violation of the Establishment Clause. It is an exercise of the Free Exercise Clause. After many years of court battles, First Liberty Institute, the firm representing Coach Kennedy, has appealed the case to the United States Supreme Court. They initially declined to hear it, but did something pretty rare uh, where the Supreme Court actually published an opinion as to why they didn't take it. So we sort of used that as a playbook for Coach Kennedy. Uh, we went back down to the district court and got some uh, issues, questions of fact clarified at the district court. Went back up to the Ninth Circuit, 
they ruled against him again, so we appealed to the Supreme Court again, and this time they agreed to hear it. Coach Kennedy's case uh, is now at the United States Supreme Court, and we expect the decision by the end of the term, uh, so June of this year. When the court adheres to the original intent and text of the First Amendment, religious liberty wins. Um, there, there's a reason it's listed first in the First Amendment, um, because if you lose that, you really are destined to lose everything else. I mean, if you allow government in the space between man and God and allow government to force someone to violate their own conscience, then there's really no limit on government, what it, what it can do. But people have the right to live according to their beliefs in all aspects of life. Um, and when they do, uh, they tend to make life better for other people. Throughout this intense battle for religious liberty, Joe Kennedy says he didn't set out to be a crusader for a cause. He just wants to coach football and be able to thank God for it. I want to, I want to be the coach again. I want to be out there with those guys. They, they're my world. You never know how much they mean to you until you lose something like that. And then it really hits you. It's like losing your kid. It's that you're left with that empty, hollow part of your soul. And it's, it's a horrible feeling. Trues at Transform will return in 30 seconds. In a world where all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, God's plan is astonishing. What's so amazing about grace? Find out in this free booklet that we'll send at no cost or obligation to you. Just call or write to us asking for What's So Amazing About Grace to help you grasp the most astounding of God's works, His grace for you. The Constitution was intended to protect the people from the government. It was never intended to protect the government from the people. The founders, who invoked prayer in congressional sessions and held worship services in the Capitol, would never have imagined the First Amendment being used to punish someone for praying. But this is the spirit of our age. In a time when everything is up for grabs, from the definition of a man or a woman to what constitutes a marriage, biblical absolutes are considered a grave threat. My pastor and mentor, Dr. D. James Kennedy, saw where all of this was headed. He shares more in his message, The War Against Christianity. We live in an age, I am happy to say, in an age which stands foursquare against bigotry and prejudice. Unless, that is, unless that bigotry is directed against Christians, Christ, or Christianity. Today, the only group which you can hold up to public mockery and pillaring are Christians, even Christ, the crystal Christ, the spotless and holy Christ, the loving and compassionate Christ, the only perfect and pure person ever to grace this planet, is himself held up to unbelievable and savage mockery. My friends, we're talking today about the age-long war 
against Christianity, a war which has sometimes been cold and sometimes hot. And I want you to know that it's heating up again in America. We should never forget that before a single finger was placed upon a single Jew in Nazi Germany in the 30s, before a single hand dragged one of them into a boxcar to haul them off to Auschwitz, there was an intense propaganda blitzkrieg which presented them as the off-scouring of the earth of the vilest of individuals that were not even persons. They were the enemies of Germany. They were those who are preventing its progress. And so when the actual final solution began, the people had been prepared by propaganda to believe it was all for the good of Germany. Christians in recent television programs and motion pictures have been held up as bigots, as censors, as intolerant, as narrow-minded, as ignoramuses, as those who are a threat to freedom, those who are a threat to the very well-being of our lives, as one pilot who professed his Christianity and paraded it before the cameras uh, is made out to be before he goes berserk and begins to kill all sorts of people. The war against Christianity is heating up. As Jesus himself said, that the world would hate us. And why? He said, if the world hate you, know that it hated me first. The world hates Jesus Christ, which is undoubtedly got to be the most astonishing fact in history. Here is a world sunk in its sin, in rebellion against God, deep in every form of anti-moral, anti-God behavior, already condemned by God in his mind. He says, ye are condemned already. Simply waiting to fall off the precipice into perdition. And don't forget that this, where you are sitting, is nothing other than death row. And there's no need to get up and go out because so is your home and your office and your car and every square inch of ground on this planet. And if you go to the moon, it's still death row. Every person on this planet has been judged and has been found guilty and has been condemned to die. Ye are condemned already, said Christ. And into this world of condemned rebels, the Son of God came on a mission of mercy. The harmless, sinless, holy Son of God, loving and compassionately came to live the perfect life that we have all failed to do and to die an atoning death in our stead, taking upon himself all of the vileness of our sins and becoming sin for us and then being held up between heaven and earth upon a cross where the wrath of his own Father is poured out upon him in our place. 
and he dies in our stead and purchases for us eternal life, which freely, mirabile dictu, wonder to tell, freely he offers to every last one of us, sinful sons of sinful fathers, the gift of eternal life, if we will but trust in him. And for this anguish, this agony, this trouble of coming into this dark world, he receives, he is requited with hatred. That is astonishing. He himself answers the question, why? He says, they hated me without cause. His only desire was for our good. His only purpose was that we should live happily ever after. And for that, we gave him our hatred. The world, the scripture says, the world is at enmity with God. If they hate you, know that they hated me first. They hated him without cause. And wonderful to tell, he loved us without cause. And so he sets before us the world and the church. Now the church consists of all of those who are united by a living faith to Jesus Christ and in whose hearts he lives and his spirit and love dwell. The world consists of all of those who are not connected to God through Jesus Christ. They are the aggregate of the godless. So I would ask you, into which group are you found? In which group are you found? The real church or the world? Now they're both united. The church, in spite of its apparent divisions all over the world, is united in one in Jesus Christ. There is one faith that joins us to one Savior. And so the world, in spite of all of its divisions, political, economic, religious, and all of the pagan religions of the world, they are all united in their inveterate hostility to Jesus Christ. Do you remember Herod? And Pilate, as opposed as two worldlings could possibly be, but they were made friends that day and reconciled because of their common persecution of Jesus Christ. And so the world will join ranks against Christians every time. And interestingly, the world in the church will always join with them. When the world has bad things to say about the church, there's some in the church that'll join them each time. And they don't even realize that what they're doing is flying their own flag. And it says, worldling. And birds of a feather do flock together. Why have they hated Christ? They've hated him and they do hate him without cause. Isn't it astonishing that this one who came like no other person ever came to do the world good? You cannot sit in a restaurant without hardly hearing his name dragged in the mud, which is always like a dagger in my heart. 
and hearing people curse with his name. Why? What ill has he done to them? His banner over them is love. He seeks nothing but their well-being. Why do they hate him? They hate him without a cause because they are depraved and their hearts are at enmity with God. Well, what can we do about this war against Christ and Christianity that is heating up? We do have the power of the gospel. And we can use that gospel to transform the world into the church because all of us were born as a part of this world. By living lives of moral integrity and the beauty of love, we can attract the world. And Christ, the loving and gracious Christ, even as he is besmirched by the world, shines ever brighter in his wondrous glory. We can share the gospel. And one of the reasons, my friend, that the war is heating up today is because we have been derelict in our responsibility to do that. And so the number of those who are not a part of Christ has been growing and multiplying and becoming stronger and stronger until now. They are turning on the church upon Christians who founded this nation. Isn't that incredible? The barbarians are at the door, and they are people that we should have been converting into Christians years ago. We can use the gospel. And also, the Bible says that all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Have you been persecuted for your faith in Christ? I don't mean for your ornery disposition, for your critical attitude, for your backbiting tongue, but have you been persecuted for your faith in Jesus Christ? I remember a lady who told me about a minister she knew up north, and she said she'd known him for a great many years. She said, in all of those years, I never heard one person speak ill of him. Isn't that wonderful? No. It's tragic. Jesus Christ said, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. For so spake they of the false prophets before you. If your preacher isn't being persecuted, and he's not preaching the truth and standing for Christ because he will experience that. But we can rejoice and we can love our enemies and we can use the gospel to transform them into part of the body of Christ, to part of his church. That's what we can do as the war against Christianity heats up again in our time. I'm Jennifer Kennedy Cassidy, and as you just heard from my father, it's a certainty today that standing for biblical truth will bring us opposition. If we're going to thrive and advance the Word of God under that kind of opposition, it's extremely vital for us to understand what's happening. 
Coach Joe Kennedy, whom you met earlier in this program, lost his job for simply saying a silent prayer after football games. How can that happen in a nation founded upon religious freedom? It can happen because the left has twisted the First Amendment beyond all recognition and has gotten so-called progressive judges to go along with them. But this is the farthest thing from what the First Amendment is actually about. Dr. Peter Lilback, the founder of Providence Forum, who serves with me on the board of directors for D. James Kennedy Ministries, has written a powerful book that expresses the truth. It's called Wall of Misconception. Does the separation of church and state mean the separation of God and government? And we'd like to send it to you as our thanks for your generous donation. Did you know that the wall of separation between church and state is a phrase not found anywhere in the Constitution? Nevertheless, activist judges have recklessly used that phrase to stamp out public religious expression. Discover the truth in Peter Lilbach's Wall of Misconception. And if you're able to give a generous donation of $40 or more, we'll send you that book, plus the two DVD set of messages from my dad called the war against Christianity. You just saw a short portion of one of those two messages, and this set contains that sermon in its entirety, plus another key message entitled, The Culture War in America. In these sermons, my father lays out the challenges we face in today's society, which is increasingly hostile to Christ and Christianity, and he shares biblical wisdom on how we should respond. That's the eye-opening book, Wall of Misconception, by Dr. Peter Lilback, as our thanks for your generous donation. And the book, plus the two-message set from Dr. D. James Kennedy, called The War Against Christianity, all in appreciation for your ministry gift of $40 or more. And as you donate, you're helping us to stand for truth and defend freedom through our various broadcast, web, and print outreaches. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 111-54, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call toll-free 877-962-7677. Or go online to djkm.org. The cultural tide has shifted in recent decades, and the absolute truth claims of Christianity are not only doubted, but they're often viewed as bigoted and hateful. But there is no room for compromise. Either God created the world and gets to define it, or he didn't. Yet those who speak God's word are increasingly silent. So what are we to do? I would like to encourage you to ask yourself two questions. The first is, am I studying God's word? Much of our current confusion stems from the fact that God has spoken, but we're not listening. The second question to ask yourself is, am I evaluating all of life according to God's word? God does not merely tell us how our souls get to heaven. In the Bible, God tells us what is right and wrong, what is good and what is evil, what his will is for every area of life, which he created and which he rules. Are you standing on the truth in your own life? If so, you will face opposition from an unbelieving world. Someone will call you a hater or a bigot. They may try to cancel you. As Dr. Kennedy said, there is no value in being persecuted for our ornery disposition or our critical attitude or our acid tongues. 
But if we are not facing any opposition for our stance on the word of God, it's possible that we're not actually living out our faith at all. D. James Kennedy Ministries is standing for truth and defending your freedom. I'm Pastor Rob Pacienza. Thank you for being with us. And here's a look at the next Truths That Transform. When you have that rejection of truth, we shouldn't be surprised when lawlessness ascending accompanies that rejection of truth. That's next week. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.